Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And then Daniel um, chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, getting that, that shoulders getting back there, yeah. yeah. All right. That's right. Tom Brady, look out, huh? <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, this morning, I have uh, just a distinct pleasure of introducing to you um, somebody that you're familiar with, but probably not in this role. Um, Randy and Cindy Hoffbeck have have been attending our church, what, almost from the beginning, haven't you? Yeah? Uh, Sean, uh, their son, and their other son raised in the church. Sean is a covenant pastor. But what you may not know is that Randy is also a covenant pastor. Yeah, come on up here, Randy. And uh, Randy most recently served as the interim pastor uh, at First Covenant. Uh, and, of course, our very own former middle school director, Chris Mitchell, is now the lead pastor there. And so we just did a swap. Randy's come on back home. But the thing I want to share with you is that Randy, uh, amidst his, all his other responsibilities as being an interim and serving in the conference and, and has a very broad ministry, his home base is going to be here at Community Covenant. And he is going to be focusing in on the area of spiritual formation and discipleship. And so we're very, very excited about that. Pastor Randy uh, is uh, a blessing uh, to many of us. Hopefully the rest of us will get to know him. Uh, and I am looking forward, uh, Randy, to serving alongside of you here uh, at Community Covenant. So let's welcome... Back from First Covenant, our own Randy Hoffbeck. Thank you. Uh, I was going to borrow that hair piece from Mike because I was a product of the 70s, and then I realized I still look like I did in the 70s. So, you know, you find a look you like, you just stick with it, right? Um, I am a product of the 70s. And one of the, the, the great 
classic novels of the 1970s is A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know how many of you know about this book, but it's a series of books written by um, Douglas Adams. And the second book in the series is called uh, A Restaurant at the End of the Universe. And kind of the premise of this book is all these dignitaries and these time travelers have met together at this restaurant at the far end of the universe to witness the end of time, to witness the end of time and space, the great explosion that will end everything. Well, as they're there, they have an opportunity to, to, to ask this supercomputer deep thought, what is the meaning of, 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 of um, everything, of life, of the universe, of everything. Well, deep thought takes uh, about 7.5 million years to come up with the answer. And the answer he came up with was 42. Now, these dignitaries were a little bit upset about that. What do you mean, 42? And, and so, as they complained, Deep Thought said, well, it would have been a lot easier for me to come up with an answer if I had really known what the question was. So that, that begins the story. And, 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 and so, so they create an even bigger computer. Deep Thought creates this even bigger supercomputer the size of a small planet. And the computer's name is Earth. And for 10 million years, Earth calculates what is the ultimate question of the universe. Unfortunately, they forget why Earth is there after a while. And before the 10 million years is up, Earth is destroyed to create a cosmic byway through that area. And and Earth doesn't come to the final answer. Fortunately, uh, there's enough people that lived on Earth. And through a series of events and a, a modified Scrabble board... They come up with the answer, the ultimate, or the question, the ultimate question in the universe. And the question is, what is six times nine? Now, I don't know whether Douglas Adams intended it to be that way or not. I expect not, knowing what I know about Douglas Adams. But it's a wonderful parody of the futile search for the meaning of life man has outside of Jesus Christ. After all, the ultimate question of the universe isn't what's six times nine. The ultimate question is, is Christ your king? I bring that up this Sunday, because this Sunday is the end of the liturgical year. It's Christ the King Sunday. Within the church calendar, the calendar starts with Advent. And so the first Sunday of the year is is the first Sunday of Advent. And so we go through Advent, anticipating the birth of Christ. We have Christmas. And then we go into this this, uh, time called Ordinary Time, where we oftentimes the church will focus on the ministry of Jesus Christ. That leads to Lent and the celebration of Easter. And then another big block of ordinary time where we spend a lot of time talking about Jesus Christ's ministry and and how the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ and the the ministry of the apostles and just kind of just the totality of the Bible and how it all points to Jesus Christ as King. And that leads us to Christ the King Sunday, where the entire Christian world on one day boldly proclaims, 
Jesus Christ is King. However, if you think about it, and you think about, I don't know, a lot of ministry that we hear these days, they never seem to get past the idea of God as our daddy and Jesus Christ as our best friend. Now, don't get me wrong. God is our Father. And we're called to a close, intimate relationship with Him. A relationship where we can call Him Father, where we can call Him Abba, where we can call Him Daddy, where we can call Jesus Christ our best friend. But the problem is, if we never see God in any greater position than as our daddy, or Jesus Christ as our best friend, we miss the totality of who God is. We miss his holiness. We miss his righteousness. And quite frankly, we miss a lot about the amazing relationship we have with him. Think about it. This is a God who who spoke the universe into existence and holds it in the palm of his hand. It cares enough to want to have a relationship with us. Who cares enough to take the time to hear the cries of our heart and to share with us the joys of our blessing. When we personalize God so much, at least I know this for myself, that we lose this amazing nature of our relationship with him. I think we miss, we miss out on a lot of what it means that Christ is our king. What it means that he's the God of creation, that he's our redeemer, and that he's our judge. He's an amazing God. An amazing God who wants to have a relationship with us. That's the God we serve. And that's, that's the God to, today we call our king. Several years ago, actually a year ago, Cindy and I were fortunate enough to spend a few weeks in Ireland and Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland. And it was amazing to see these thousand-year-old castles and listen to the myriad of kingdoms that rose and fell during those thousand years. You hear of good kings and bad kings. And, and, and it was fascinating to learn about the failings of humanity as war after war were fought over largely nondescript pieces of land. And wonder the futility of it all as king after king is killed by his successor. As betrayal and corruption began, uh, became tools of maintaining power, and unfortunately the church became involved in that as well as an ever-increasing way of controlling the people. It was an amazingly dysfunctional time. And yet, as the tour guides would talk about these, these events, they would talk with a certain amount of national pride and honor about these kings and these queens. It's a strange fascination we have with the monarchy, with kings and queens. 
where uh, we high, hold them in such high regard uh, and, and really look at their faults as inconsequential or almost something that we desire to see. And let's face it, we can't open up a newspaper right now or an online news feed without seeing something about Will and Kate or Harry and Meghan or Prince Charles or Queen Elizabeth. It's a strange fascination we have that that almost blinds us to the failings that power seems to magnify in the human existence. Today, as we celebrate Christ the King King Sunday, Christians all over the world proclaim together that Christ is our King. But I have to wonder, in today's world, when we call Christ our King, do we really see Him as he should be seen? Or do we kind of think of him like an earthly king? Maybe as a, as a, um, uh, as a, as a, a benevolent ruler who, who tries to maintain favor by giving indulgences to people. Or maybe as a, as a, a tyrannical authority who, who tries to control every aspect of our life. Or, or maybe as a, as a figurehead with no real control and no real power who instinctively bends to the public will just to maintain his position. I wonder how many of us, when we see and we call Christ King, immediately think of a perfect, righteous holy and loving king, one whose sovereignty and authority is absolute and his reign is eternal. Is that how we see him? That certainly is the message we heard this morning in worship as they started reading Psalms 93. And the psalmist, if you went on and continued reading in Psalms 93, you would hear these words, Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. That's how the psalmist saw him. But is that how we see him today? Certainly from the beginning of the New Testament to the end, the scriptures proclaim that Jesus Christ is king. Matthew 2.2, we see Herod saying, who is this who's been born the king of the Jews? And in Revelations 19.16, we see Jesus coming into his earthly kingdom with the word King of kings and Lord of lords. From Jesus' birth to his second coming, the scriptures declare that he is king. He's truly the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Ephesians 1.21 tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And it says this, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. We serve a king. But not just a king, but the king of of kings and the Lord of lords with authority over all things throughout all time and his name is Jesus. In our scripture reading today we read from the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is an apocalypse. 
An apocalypse is a, a literary genre in which a heavenly reality is revealed to a human recipient, usually through the, the form of a vision or, or, or a dream. And this, this particular part of Daniel is also an eschatology in that it, it provides a glimpse of God breaking into history through the second coming of Christ. And it's an amazing description of Christ the King that's revealed in Daniel in his dream. So let's read it one more time. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. It goes on, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And let me stop there for just a second, because Daniel didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. And this, was a, this particular part of Daniel was originally written in Aramaic, and the phrase here is, Bar and ash, which means human being. So what Daniel is saying, and he knows nothing about Jesus Christ, he says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. That's Jesus Christ. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's our king. And that's not the description of a wishy-washy, mamby-pamby king like we see in our earthly rulers that desperately hold on to authority over oppressed peoples and nondescript pieces of land. Christ the king is like no other king. His dominion is over all other kings, and his Christ kingdom is eternal. So how does that fit into our life? How does that fit into our life? So let's put this all in perspective in our daily lives. To do so, it's important to understand that in the context of Daniel's vision... In this case, what Daniel is seeing is the image of Christ coming into his earthly kingdom at his second coming. And that's important to remember because for now, Christ is our king, but his kingdom is not of this world. Until Christ comes a second time, this world belongs to Satan. Now, that doesn't change the fact that Christ is our king. And it doesn't change the character of who he is. But what it does mean is that Christ has not yet established an earthly physical kingdom. Our, his, our, his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He doesn't currently reign over people and places like an earthly king does. But instead reigns spiritually over our hearts and our lives. From a heavenly kingdom. When we speak of Christ as our king, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is our king, and yet his kingdom is not of this world. 
Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. We hear Jesus saying this. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Look at the dialogue found between Pilate and Jesus found in the Gospel of John. Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, and listen to this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So how does that work? How does that work if Christ is our king, but his kingdom is not of this world? Well, I'm glad you asked. It, work, it works this way. Since Christ's kingdom is not of this world, those of us who follow him, who call him king, are also not of this world. Those of us who follow him are also not of this world. Let me explain that. Because it's critical to understand our relationship with Jesus Christ and with this world if we're going to stand steadfast in faith in the face of false teachings and the temptation that this world offers. The Apostle Paul tells us this in Philippians 3. Brothers, join in me. Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In us are the apostles. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Of course, the problem is, we don't live in heaven. We live here, and now, in Eagle River, in the state of Alaska. We live here, but this world is not our home. Let me repeat that. We live here, but this world is not our home. We're all born into the kingdom of this world, which Satan will control until the second coming of Christ. It's a world filled with with sin that enslaves us and leads us to ever darker places. In a, in a, up here it says, For many walk as enemies of, cro- of, of the cross of Christ with their minds set on earthly things. But when we're reborn through faith in Jesus Christ, we're born into the kingdom of heaven. 
We're born into this world, but when we're reborn, we're born into the kingdom of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. And if we lose sight of this reality, that this is not our home, but simply where we currently reside, if we lose sight of our relationship with Jesus Christ as our King and heaven as our home, we can start to live as though the things of this world are our King. We get used to all of this. We get comfortable with all of this. And we busy ourselves with the trappings of this world. And we do. We sadly cease to live as citizens of heaven and subjects of Christ the King. And instead, live as citizens of this world under the authority and lies of the evil one. Are you living as a citizen of heaven? Or are you living as a citizen of this world. I'm going to give you a four-part test. This came out of a sermon that I heard by Clayton Kirby. And he didn't didn't present it as a test like I'm going to. It was just the points in his sermon, but but they were were very profound and I thought really kind of focused on what it means to be living a life within this world. So test number one. Do you fear boldly stepping out and showing your faith because of the risk of losing what you have here? Do you fear boldly stepping out and showing people your faith because you're afraid of what you might lose here? Your friends, your status, your power? Do you? Test two. Do you half-heartedly fight against sin in your life because after all, the world says it's okay and everybody else is doing it? Do you only half-heartedly fight against sin in your life because everyone else in the world is doing it? And besides, it's hard to resist temptation. It's easier to conform. Test three. Do you fail to stand for truth because you fear being labeled as narrow-minded or bigoted or being on the wrong side of political correctness? Do you fail to stand for truth because the world might reject you for doing so? Has the truth become relative? Has God's word become too heavy of a burden to carry or even worse, inconsequential in your life? And test four. If you bought into the American dream and see the comfort of the life you live and the blessings of God has given you as yours to hold on to at all costs. Have you bought into the American dream that all of this belongs to us? instead of seeing it as something that God has shared with us to be used to advance his kingdom. Have your wants become your needs? Listen to the words of Jesus and the warning he gives to a follower who has sought his support in receiving a family inheritance. Luke chapter 12. Then he said to them, Watch out! 
Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them in this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And and I'll, I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself, for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And then as this particular passage goes on, Jesus teaches his disciples not to worry about the things of this world. And then he concludes in verse 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When the things of this world capture our heart and we begin to live as though this world is our home and the, and the treasures that we, and the comfort and the temporary pleasures that this world has to offer, they, they become important to us. We need to hear the words of warning of our Lord. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or to put it another way, what your heart desires defines who you are and what you treasure. What your heart desires defines who you are and what you treasure. Think about that for a minute. When you speak of the desire of your heart, what is it? What is it that you treasure? Do we strive for prestige, for power, for wealth, for comfort, security, a better life for our family, success, upward mobility, a better house, a newer car, financial independence? Is that what we focus on? None of these things themselves are bad. And the world tells us that, tells us that these are the treasures of success. That we should strive to attain them. All that life has to offer. But sadly, when we buy into the world's definition of what's important in life, often before we know it, we find ourselves, we've taken what God has given us and we're clutching it to ourself. Our worldly goals and possessions become so important to us that we can't envision living life without them. They become the desire of our heart. They become our treasure. They become our king. Clayton Kirby said this in that message that I quoted from before. We too often forget who our king is and where our true citizenship lies. If our focus becomes living comfortable lives in this world, what we'll be left with is a mediocre faith characterized by mediocre commitment to Jesus and resulting in a mediocre impact on the world around us. But there's nothing mediocre about Christ, our King. We serve a radical, unstoppable king who did the unthinkable when he came down from his throne and entered the world as a helpless baby, lived a sinless and selfless life in the face of relentless temptation and and persecution, and then willingly gave up that life on the cross on Calvary as an atoning offering for our sins. And then if that wasn't enough, he rose again. He conquered death so that we might live. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible tells us that after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven where he sits on his throne, where he reigns as our king, and that someday he will return. He promised that. And when he leaves his throne to come down to earth the second time to establish his earthly kingdom, oh, what a day that will be. Revelation tells us loud voices in heaven will be shouting, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That is our king. But do we live as if he's our king? To be sure, when we look around at all the world has to offer, all the wonderful things that... I mean, this is God's creation. There are a lot of wonderful things that this world has to offer. And we realize that if we just... Maybe give in a little bit to the lies of the world. Or if maybe we just compromise a little bit and conform our lives to the world. This could all be ours. It can be a difficult position to live solely for Christ and for Christ alone in the face that all this world has to offer us on a superficial basis. But on this one, we need to follow the example of Christ gave us in his third temptation in the wilderness when Satan offered all of the world, all the world offered, had to offer to Jesus. And Jesus said this, And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. All these things I will give you if you will just... Compromise a little bit. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This is how we need to respond to the world as well. When we understand that this world is not our home, It may be where we reside right now, temporarily, but it's not our home. When we begin to realize that the temptations and the distractions of this world are nothing more than than dust in the wind, that all of this is temporary, a blink of an eye in the eternity of Christ's kingdom, we can do nothing else but serve Christ as our King. Not so that we can earn his favor like some earthly king. But because we recognize that our king is infinitely more valuable than anything else in this life. Our king is more valuable than anything else in this life. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of glory. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of king and the Lord of lords who reigns with majesty and authority over all things for all eternity. Christ is king. There's no dispute about that. 
So the ultimate question in the universe comes down to this. Is he your king? Is he your king? Is Christ your king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know how we we struggle with the temptations of this world. How is we're assaulted and assailed from all sides, challenging what we believe. How it's hard. It's so very hard. And Lord, I just, I just pray that today on Christ the King Sunday, as, as we proclaim as, as one voice in the Christian world that Christ is our King, Lord, that, that you would embolden us, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to such an extent that we would truly embrace the idea that you are our King and that nothing else matters. In Jesus' name, amen.